everybody. Welcome to episode 11 of the Chasing Bravery podcast. I'm your host, Kate, and I'm so happy that you are listening today wherever you are. My guest in this episode is Allison Feller, who is the host of one of my favorite podcasts, The Allie on the Run Show. Anyone who hasn't heard Allie's show should check it out, especially if you're looking for something a bit more organized and professional. Just being real here, guys, I'm a pragmatist, and I know there are some things I could clean up in my interviewing style. And Allie has it pretty down pat. She might say otherwise, but she's an excellent host, and I've enjoyed listening to her podcast right from the beginning because she just does such a great job. Allie's also the dog mom of Ellie and is really open sharing her battle with Crohn's disease. We discuss how her mindset towards her flares has changed over time and how she goes about things like goal setting with a disease that makes life really unpredictable. Before we can get to the episode, you guys know the drill, head on over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the show. I'm looking for feedback, so don't be afraid to give me some constructive criticism. I want to make the show better, and I also want to make sure that my message is clear, so any and all comments, suggestions, and feedback is welcome. All right, everyone, let's enjoy my conversation with Allie. Hi, Allie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Really appreciate you being willing to record. Um, So... Why don't you give everyone an introduction on who you are? I know people have an idea of, of uh, who you are already because of your writing presence and then also um, your your podcast, Allie on the Run, but go ahead and give an introduction. All right. So my name is Allie Feller. It should be Allie Feller Cristiano because I am <laughs> married, but uh, we got married two and a half years ago and I still haven't changed my name. So maybe at some point I will technically be Allie Cristiano, but I am Allie Feller. I am 32 years old. I live in West New York, New Jersey, which for the 99% of people who are not familiar, it's right outside Manhattan. Like my backyard, well, I don't have a backyard. I live in an apartment, but theoretically I'm looking at Manhattan. So I'm right across the water, really close to the city. So I still, when I'm traveling, I still definitely tell people I live in New York City. That's a hard habit to break because I (laughs) lived there for nine years before moving out. And I am a freelance writer. I mostly do women's health and fitness. And I write for Well and Good, Self, Shape, Women's Health, all the usual suspects. And I am also best known on the internet as Ali on the Run. So I started the blog Ali on the Run back in 2010 because I had no friends. I had no run. I had started running and I didn't have any mm. running friends. And I had started reading healthy living blogs. And I was like, oh, I kind of want to write about the oatmeal that I'm eating too. And so my blog <laughs> started and, and eventually it took off a little bit. It was never, you know, it was never huge, but it developed a really great community, which I love so much. And Last year, I launched the Alley on the Run show, which is my podcast. Awesome. And I am a huge fan of your show. Um, you. Yeah, loving it. Um, and um, I'm totally excited that it's out there. So, <laughs> yeah, me too. It's fun because. <clears throat> <coughs> no, I have the same thing going on. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we can edit all that all on yeah. the um, So, yeah, I mean, the podcast is really fun because I've with blogging, you're talking about yourself all the time. And I love that because it helps you be so introspective. And it's fun to, I love looking back like, oh, what was I writing about a year ago, five years ago? And it's fun having those archives and seeing, seeing how I've changed and grown up. Some of those early posts are so scary. I should take those (laughs) off the internet. But the podcast, it's really fun to get to use other people's stories Mm -hmm. to help figure out my own life. So 
Absolutely. And instead of just trying to figure it all out myself, I love having the opportunity to ask people that I think are living interesting lives to just totally pry at the decisions they've made to get where they are today and using that to, you know, how can that influence me in some way and what can I take away from that? So it's been really helpful to me as I've kind of, you know, as I'm growing up, we're always growing up, right? Yeah, forever. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. So, so it's been really fun. I'm really enjoying the show. It's been almost a year since it launched. I took a little break a couple months in because I was really sick, Mm. but, um, yeah, it's, we're 55 episodes in and I'm loving it. So it's been an exciting ride. Well, I'm really glad that you're feeling better. Um, you and, and me both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I can't imagine, um, I guess some of those struggles cause it's not, it, it, you know, I, I can on some level, but not completely. And I just know how difficult it can be though, when you are just not feeling like yourself at all. Um, and yeah. it, it really takes you down kind of a, a really dark path and um, oh yeah <laughs> it's difficult because it doesn't it doesn't feel it, it's hard to um, I guess I guess make the connections between what you're feeling because of your physical health and what you're feeling because of your mental health and where the two connect and what to address in order to find health overall um, and it just is a complicated place to be so Yeah, for sure. And it's funny because if we recorded this three months ago and you had asked me to introduce myself, I would have been like, my name's Allie Feller, Cristiano. That would have been the same. Mm. And like probably the first thing I would have said is I would have been like, I have Crohn's disease because when you're sick and when when your disease, whatever it is, is flaring, whether it's a disease, an injury, anything that is keeping your health down, that's just so top of mind because nothing else really matters. And you know, even for me to look at how I introduced myself, I'm like, oh, I didn't even mention Crohn's. That's kind of nice because I've been feeling better for uh, like two months now. And, you know, I'm sure I'll be sick again. I'm sure, you know, I go into every year like this is going to be the best year ever because I'm a very optimistic person at my core. But I know now that the reality is at some point this year, I will feel in some way the effects of having Crohn's disease. Mm. I you know, I hope I don't, but I kind of am constantly learning that that is the reality of having a chronic illness that doesn't have a cure. So it's just really nice to not have it be defining me right now because at some point it probably will again, even though I don't, I try not to let it to. And I know a lot of people with illnesses are really strong and power, strong and powerful in their stances saying, you know, I don't let my disease define me. And I think that I'm not necessarily one of those people Mm. and that's okay. Like when, especially when I'm sick, of course my Crohn's kind of defines me because it's changing. It's affecting every single thing I do. It affects my work. It affects my sleep. It affects my mood. It affects whether or not I can take my dog for a walk. But then even when I am healthy, it is always something that I go back to because I'm like, Oh, you know what? I'm strong because I got through that hard time. Like even when I'll go do a workout, I'm like, oh, you know, a two minute interval, that seems really intense. Then I'm like, dude, I got through the last year of being sick. Like I'm fine. I'm, uh, I'm okay. So it doesn't necessarily define me, but it does play a huge role in my life. And that's something that I'm okay with. I, I wish it weren't part of my life, but I've actually, I've just gained a lot of strength from dealing with a lot of really difficult times that I had to get through on my own. And that's something I'm always 
learning and realizing and trying to give myself more credit for is that, you know, I didn't get through the past year because I had some brilliant therapist. I had a couple that I didn't like and that didn't work out. Hmm. I have a doctor that I love, but who is really busy and isn't as involved in handling my care as I would like. And, you know, and I have great friends and family and that support system is wonderful. But ultimately, like I got through the last year because I got through the last year. So that's kind of where I'm at is learning to give myself a little more credit on that front. That must, I mean, that's pretty empowering. I like that because it is um, a way of looking at your disease as it's almost like taking like a strengths focus perspective on your, on your disease that you have. So, um, I, I look at everything. I'm a social worker, so I look at everything through a social lens. Um, and whenever I hear someone just like talk about something that could easily be, you know, that and depending on the day and the time is something that can either be a good thing or a bad thing for that person. I like, um, when people have sort of like a strengths twist on it because I think it's such a positive way of looking at yourself. Um, so it's like your narrative is like, yes, this is something that's a part of me and that I have, but look at how it's made me a stronger person and how it's led to me being, you know, strong in these areas and, and being able to get through things that are difficult. Um, yeah, totally. I and really I should like say, I mean, it's much easier for me to say that right now than it right. was three months ago because three months ago when I was so sick, had been so sick for so long, was so deeply depressed that I just couldn't, I couldn't function. Like I was just in such a bad place in every aspect of my physical and mental health that at the time, if someone had said to me, like, just remember that you're so strong, I like, I don't handle that well when I'm sick. It's really easy and helpful to have that perspective after. But I, I will admit that I am not, I'm not yet good at that. I'm not yet good at harnessing that mentality when I'm in the throes of it. Because mm -hmm. when I'm in the throes of it, everything seems horrible. I might have fleeting moments where I'm like, I got this. But I, I generally don't, <laughs> I don't got this mm. and I'm aware of that. So it's more just learning to kind of act with a little bit more patience and kindness and forgiveness and just, I'm generally not like a take life one day at a time thing. I like to have big dreams and goals, but when you have a, a debilitating illness, however serious it might be, unfortunately, that's not always the reality. You can't always plan for the future. So it has taught me very much to live in the moment. And I was someone who, until I started doing yoga a couple years ago, like was not present ever. And I'm not perfect at it now, but yoga really started helping me with that in terms of just embracing where I am at the moment making the best of where I am. And one thing that my yoga teacher, I go to Lion's Den Power Yoga in New York, which I love. Mm. And if anyone listening is in New York City, you should go there and I'll go with you and it'll be amazing and we'll be best <laughs> friends. So my teacher, Bethany, is always talking about equanimity, which is not a word I'd ever heard of, but she's <laughs> all about, she says it's meeting life where life meets you. So it's kind of embracing the idea that like the day might not be perfect. Like Life might hand you a traffic jam or a flat tire or a sick, I was going to say sick kid, but I don't have kids. So a sick dog, like whatever comes up that you can't control and 
just kind of learning to roll with it and say, this is where I'm at right now. This is where my life is right now. And just kind of doing what you can with that situation. So I'm always sort of working on that and trying to embrace that. And I call it controlling the controllables because I used to try to control everything Mm. and turns out you can't. (laughs) So I am. Oh, wait, really? (laughs) (laughs) I know. Sorry. Sorry to burst that bubble. But yeah, I still have to learn that lesson. (laughs) Yeah, it's a constant work in progress for me. But it is something that's really helped. And that's something I've learned from talking to a lot of professional athletes, actually, that that oftentimes is their race mentality. When I'll ask a runner, like, what are you thinking about as your training builds up? Or what are you thinking about when you're on the line? Are you thinking about your competitors? And almost all of them are like, no, you can't think about your competitors because you can't control the race they're going to have. You can only control the race you're going to have. And obviously, I'm not a professional track and field athlete, but that is kind of something that I try to apply to my own life in terms of I can't control how someone's going to act toward me. I can't control how, you know, another driver on the road is going to be driving today or if they're going to be on their cell phone and driving me crazy. But I can control how I react to it. I can, you know, I can adjust accordingly and and that kind of comes into play in all aspects of life I'm learning. Mm. So with that mentality, how do you manage, like going into this year, like you said, um, you, you are feeling good right now, and, but you know that at some point, and, and hopefully not, I'll knock on wood, um, <laughs> that, <you> go. <laughs> yeah, that, you, that you will experience some negative impact of having a chronic disease. Um, how do you manage uh, you, your big goals and aspirations when you know that there's a chance that you could be kind of sidelined for a little bit or um, have to sort of take a step back? Like, how do you deal with that? Because I know that um, that for me, that would really that would really scare me. Um, and yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely tough. I know that one of the biggest things I've done is I've stopped making the kind of goals I used to make. Hmm. I used to, at the beginning of every year, say, I want to run this time in a 5K and I want to PR in the marathon. And I like, I, I love running. And for me, it brings me so, the training brings me so much joy. I love working really hard, but I, I mean, I don't remember the last time I was able to fully complete a training cycle being healthy and go out and get to run the race that I trained for. You know, every single race over the past, however many years, I've been sidelined in some way, because of my body. So I stopped making specific running goals. Um, I might say that I want to run in certain places, which is something that I love doing. But even like, I, I just don't really make the kind of goals that it sounds horrible to say, I don't want to set myself up for failure because I'm fine with trying something and failing, Mm. but I don't want to set myself up for a situation where I won't even be able to try or we're trying, or we're trying might be detrimental. Like I, in the past couple of years have learned that I, I hate to say this, but I think that my body just doesn't respond well to the intensity of marathon training. I think that it's too much stress for my body. I really hate to admit that that might be true because I don't want to believe it. But the last however many times I've tried to train for a marathon and even even training for a half last year, and it might be coincidental that it might have been other factors that led to the flare-ups at those same times. But I can't help but think that adding that stress to my body wasn't 
serving me well. I don't think that running causes Crohn's flares, but I don't think that the intensity of training for a marathon or being out for three hours at a time doing these long runs, I just don't think that my body is at a place where that is what best serves it right now. And that's tough because I love those three-hour runs. Mm. Like I, I'm a total endurance junkie. If I had my way, I would just do really active things all day, every day, just because it makes me so happy. And so I've learned to tweak how I make goals. Okay. Um, you know, and it's not because I don't want to go for them. It's just because the reality of getting to December and looking back on a list of things I was so excited about and seeing that I wasn't able to do any of them. That's, that's a really hard thing to swallow. And it's, it's one thing to look back at your list and say like, oh, I said I would take a dance class and I got lazy so I didn't. Or I said I would bust out my old tap shoes and put them on and I just never did. Like, okay, that's you failed because you were lazy because you didn't try, whatever. That's right. It's not fine, but that I can at least then say like, oh, hey, I, ma- I made this goal for myself and I failed to do it because of because I got lazy or I didn't try or whatever. It's another thing to have a goal that's I want to run a 143 marathon. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. A 143 half marathon and have to look <laughs> back at a list like that and say, well, I didn't get to do those because I was sick and I had no other goals that I could channel my energy into. So this year I did make a couple like new year's resolutions, which are really just things that I'm kind of excited about. And like one of mine for this year is put myself first Mm. that, and even that, like that's hard sometimes, but that is something that a, I need to have as a reminder. So I need to put that in writing so that I can look back at it and say like, no, I said I was going to put myself first this year because I really suffer when I don't, um, as much physically as it is mentally. I, I want to run on this certain trail near my apartment and I'm like, I will be healthy for at least one day this year. Even if I like, even if Mm. I wake up tomorrow and I'm like, Oh crap, I feel a Crohn's flare coming on. I can go to that trail real quick and I can bust (laughs) out that run. It won't be three hours, but like that, because I feel healthy right now, I'm confident that I can at some point make that happen. And then I, this year I have the goal of, I want to try my hand at race announcing. I came up with that last year when I was sick, actually, because I just I find so much joy in finish lines. I love crossing them. I love being at them. I love cheering as other people cross them. And so I want to attempt to be a race announcer, even if it not as a career, like at one time I want to learn the ropes. I want to try it. That's I like the idea of trying something new. I love that environment. So that is one where if I'm sick, that won't happen. Like that, that goal, I won't be able to sit at a finish line if I'm sick. I definitely won't have the energy to cheer for people. And even mentally, if I'm sick, being at a race is hard. So that, that goal might not happen, but I know that. So it's just, you know, I used to go into the new year with like 15 of those resolutions and things that, you know, and so it's just kind of a matter of, of being realistic and, and still being aspirational and still having goals because I don't ever, I'm not ever going to live without dreams and goals. That's certainly no fun, but also just learning to forgive myself a little bit if they don't happen and acknowledging why they didn't happen. If something doesn't happen because I was sick, that really sucks, but it's not your fault. <laughs> yeah. And it's not for lack of trying and it's not for lack of intention. So mm-hmm. 
that's just life. And I've, I've said that phrase more times in the past year than I think I ever had in my life, but I find myself saying it, you know, this didn't work out. That's life. That doesn't mean I didn't try my absolute hardest. That doesn't mean I didn't go for it, but sometimes you can't, you can't control everything. So you control the controllables and you do what you can do. And that's my plan for this year. And for, and for life going forward is to, to always give my best and to do what I can do every single day. Mm-hmm. And some days that's nothing. Some days my best is is I'm in the bathroom or I'm right. in bed and I don't leave the apartment. Some days my best means I can't walk my dog more than two feet from my front door because I'm going to need to run back in and use the bathroom. So my best doesn't have a steady barometer, I guess. It's really more like a scary line that you probably see before someone has a heart attack or something where it's just constant up and down. But it's just learning to be okay with that, which isn't easy, but I'm no, trying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that it it sounds like it, it's almost as if um, your personality contradicts your disease because, you know, totally. you, you sound like a person who is inclined to want to um, make big goals and who, you know, wants to have a plan for everything and, um, you know, you're probably the type of person who internalizes things and assumes that if something goes wrong, it's your fault. Um, and that's got to be just a really difficult way, like type of personality to have when you also are struggling with something that is so uncontrollable and is not your fault and doesn't have anything to do with like, you know, what you do and what you don't do necessarily. And so, um, yeah, I, I can imagine that that's been a struggle. Um, so I guess off of that, what, and, and you've already talked about this a little bit about like your progression and how you have come to think of the way that you spend your day and, um, the way that you, your mindset. Um, but how have things evolved from like, say like your teenage years to now your thirties in terms of like the way that you look at things and the way that you manage, um, your Crohn's? Um, well, I think the biggest thing, the biggest change that comes to mind, and this isn't even specific to Crohn's is that I, have a lot more integrity and confidence and I care a lot less about the outside world. And I know that doesn't sound like it has anything to do with taking care of myself when I'm sick or managing my disease, but it really does because caring a lot about what everyone else is doing and what everyone else is thinking and what everyone else is thinking of you, that manifests so deeply in your body. And I know that for me, that can bring on such intense stress Mm. that I have tried and, and as I've grown up, it's become much more natural. Like I literally turned 30 and I just started saying, I'm 30, I'm too old for this crap, but not crap, a different word, <laughs> but I'll censor myself here. But like, well, I you can say I, whatever you want. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Don't tempt me. But yeah, I mean, I turned 30 and I... I all of a sudden it was just like something snapped to me where I'm, I was kind of like, I don't deal with bullshit anymore. Mm. Not in like, I deal with enough because I have this disease, I'm not dealing with it from anywhere else. I'm not dealing with toxic friendships. I'm not following people I don't like on the internet. I'm just not inviting negativity into my life or tolerating it if it's there. Mm -hmm. So I know that for me, that's really helped my outlook. And I am such a firm believer in the mind-body connection, which I never would have said when I was 
you know, 16 or 25 because I would have been like, oh, okay, that's so like woo-woo, that's so out there. But now I'm like, no, I absolutely believe that it is such a strong connection and that I know that when I am stressed out, I know that when I'm not treating myself well, that that manifests in my body and I end up sick. So I think the shift in how I approach what I want out of life has changed a lot. Like, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I used to. When I was 16, I knew exactly what I wanted to be when I grew up. And by the time I was 25, I had that exact job. And so that was cool that I achieved my greatest dream at a very young age. But by the time I was 30, I was like, all right, I did that. Now what? And I still Mm -hmm. haven't figured out what that next dream is. Mm. So it's, you know, that kind of goes back to what I was talking about, about planning and setting goals. It's hard to do that because... I, I don't want to fail at something because I wasn't able to try. Right. I'll fail at something because I tried and sucked at it. Sure. That's a bummer. That's my fault, though. That's on me. So in terms of actually managing the disease, though, I've, I mean, since the time I was diagnosed when I was seven and the disease was pretty chill for a while. And by the time I got to college and early adulthood, it was pretty bad. I would have these really bad, totally debilitating flare ups. I, that dream job I talked about, I had to take medical leave from it because I got so sick that I couldn't perform my job. And my boss was, you know, at the time I thought she was being so mean because I was in such a fragile state and it was young. I was like 26. I I wasn't emotionally equipped to have the job I had, but they gave it to me, which was amazing. And I remember thinking that my boss, and she had always been really supportive of me and one day she pulled me into her office or no, it was an email. She sent me an email and was like, Hey, you know, you've used up all your sick days. We've tried to let you work remotely, but it's really tough. Cause I managed a small team and we were so busy and we had a lot, like we had a lot going on. And she just said, she was like, I think it would be in the best interest of your team and the company right now for you to take medical leave. And she, you know, she explained how that would work and how they would support me through that time. But I was pissed. Like, yeah. I was like, how dare she? Because I was doing my best. But the reality was like, it's a business and my best was not good enough at the time. And all I could see was how she was being mean, how I was being forced to take medical leave. Like I didn't see it as an opportunity, which ne- and, and I didn't take it as one. I spent that entire medical leave constantly talking to my team, being like, what's going on? Mm. Keep me in the loop. Like I, I really struggled with that. And finally, I went back to work, not because I was better, but because I could not handle not being there. So I was finally, I just, I went back to work and I was miserable and I was sick and I never got better at that job. Not doing my job, I was great at doing my job, but I never (laughs) physically became well because I didn't take care of myself. I didn't take that time that she gave me to really let myself heal and to try different ways of healing and to rest and Instead, I was just more worked up than ever. So that I think I needed to grow up a lot and I have, and it took me a long time to see that what she was giving me was an opportunity and was in everyone's best interest, but she was, she wasn't telling me what I wanted to hear. So in my mind, I was pissed and, Mm. and I was hurt and I was upset And I hated knowing that it would affect my team because I cared about them so much. And so that was really hard. 
And since then, it's just kind of been a series of flares that come and go. Some of them last for years. The longest one lasted two years. That was when I was at that job. And mm. that was hard. I mean, it, it, it was terrible. And that's just why I love being healthy so much and why I appreciate it. And I know that I'm totally that preachy, annoying girl on the internet who's like, take don't take your health for granted. Appreciate it. Never say you have to go for a run. You get to go for a run. And I know <laughs> like until you've been there, like that kind of preaching is just so annoying. And you're just like, oh, this annoying girl enough. But like I am, I just believe in that so much. And that's why even this past Saturday, which was here in New York, it was like the real feel was like negative 15 or something. And I went for my first outdoor run of the year. I hadn't gone for a run yet this year. And I was like, you know what? My stomach feels good. It's sunny. I'm going to go for a run. And all my friends and my mom, of course, my mom like hates, hates the idea of, you know, me being cold or. <laughs> yeah, you know. you're a baby. <laughs> yeah, I'm still four in her mind. Just protect me from afar. But I went for a run because I love running and I love being outside and the weather wasn't going to hold me back. Like if it had been sleeting and dangerous, sure, but. It wasn't dangerous and I loved it and I ran five miles and it was awesome and I didn't have to make any bathroom stops and not running because of the weather never even crossed my mind. And I'm also not, you know, I'm not training for anything right now. If I were trying to build up to run some impressive marathon time, I might say like, oh, I should run on the treadmill because in the long run, that's better for my health. I don't want to get sick from being out in the cold. I don't know. I'm <laughs> right. like using old wives tales here, but I, I just kind of, I'm, I'm big on the seize the day mentality and I'm just like hopped up on good energy right now, as you can probably tell. <laughs> I just like being healthy feels so good. And, and, and I should clarify mentally and physically, like physically, I feel really good right now. Mentally, it's still, you know, that's always a work in progress for me. So oh, but totally. physically feeling good. So I'm definitely taking advantage of that, that right now. Yeah, that's something that's interesting for me to wrap my head around is the idea that my mental health could probably always improve. Like, yeah, <laughs> it, it's a, you know, like it's very, it's very daunting. And I really, really appreciate you sharing uh, your job experience that you had when you were in your twenties. Because as I was listening to you, I was like, "Damn, I really need to hear this right now." Because it's something that, like, so I, I am someone who's in like, I guess you could say, my early twenties. I'm 24. Um, and I have, I have had, so when I was first, I, I didn't get diagnosed with celiacs until I was 22. Um, and so my situation was very unusual and that I was like sick all the time and I didn't know why. Um, and I was having all kinds of like weird, um, like I ran collegiately and I was having these experiences where I like. I would be good for one workout and then the next workout I would like literally pass out <laughs> and I had no idea why um, and all kinds of digestive issues. But I, and, and, and it's been a struggle for me learning how to manage my health um, and then also just my immune system. I get sick all the time um, and I've had people who are like mentors or professors um, say to me, maybe you need to take a little bit of time. Like maybe you need to just get better. Um, and I've, 
my immediate reaction has been like, oh my gosh, they must think that there's like, that I'm not, like I'm incompetent or they mm-hmm. must think that, you know, like, it's like, or, yeah. right. And it's like, it like defensive and it's like in the back of my mind, I know that's not the case. Like I, I guess logically I can say, okay, no, that's not what they're saying. And like, yes, I really am struggling right now. But at the same time, it's like definitely my that's my first reaction. And so I really appreciate you sharing that story because I think there's probably a lot of women um, and young people in that age group that are, you know, have heard similar things. And I think that that's such a good thing to take note of is that it's okay if you need to take time to, Mm -hmm. to get healthy, regardless of what you're, what you're trying to um, recover from or dealing with, like, that's okay. And it's not like, it's important to not internalize that and think that it's something that you did wrong or that like the person who's telling you that you need to get healthy is, you know, thinking that there's something wrong with you. It's that's, you know, and even if they do, that's okay. Like what's important is that you know that that's what's best for you, you know? Right. Um, Yeah. I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. It, it, it took a lot of self-reflection down the road. I didn't have, I, I was not able to embrace that mentality at the time. So, um, yeah, older and wiser, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, I don't know how, like, like I said, like I can sit here logically and say that right at this second, but I mean, I don't know how I would react to that, you know, tomorrow if someone was to say to me, like, you really need to take a break. Like you need to chill and, you know, not be focusing so much on like I'm in grad school and I'm about to go into law school and I don't know how I would feel if someone said to me like chill because I think where my mindset is right now I feel all this pressure to constantly be like propelling myself forward and I hear people who are a little bit older than me say like it's okay like that'll change like you'll gain some perspective and that'll mm-hmm. be different and i just keep thinking like when is that going to happen because i you know it it's will. just hard <laughs> i know i mean i'm not i'm i'm older and so maybe i'm a little wiser but i will say that like the mid 20s burnout is very real and yeah. i know that for me i have always been such a perfectionist a really hard worker i wasn't someone who i did really well in school. I got straight A's straight all the way through college because I had to work my butt off for it. Mm. Like I was not, I was naturally smart in some areas. I was always a good writer. So I was good in English, but like I had to really study. I had to go in for extra help in math. Like I was in high school. I think our day started at seven 30, but I was there at six 45 every morning to get extra help with my calculus teacher. Cause you know, I wanted to take AP calculus, but it was really hard for me. And then through college, I did a million extracurriculars, was always working really hard because I had these big dreams and goals. And I like the idea of getting straight A's. Like a B to me was a blemish. Like that's basically what B stood for. B for blemish. blemish. <laughs> yeah. Like it was a blemish on my perfect record. So I, I was like hardwired to get straight A's and I'm, I don't feel that way anymore. I'm not a perfectionist anymore. I'm a, I'm a what you can, when you can kind of person now. And that doesn't mean I don't work my ass off still, but it's with a really different mentality in mind. And I think a big part of that is learning that failures aren't what we were taught they are. 
like you grow up thinking a failure or an F. I mean, yeah, an F in school, that's going to hold you back from graduating potentially or, or whatever it could hold you back from, from getting enough credits or I don't know. But kind of as you get older, at least the way I look at failures is a, I can't fail if I don't try. Hmm. I mean, you can fail a test if you don't try. That's a little bit different. But like, <laughs> you know, when I'm looking at things I want to do. Okay, so I said that I want to be a race announcer. How is that goal going to be a failure? Well, it's going to be a failure if I try it and I suck at it. But the goal is to try it. The goal, you know, it, it's a failure if I don't at least go for it. So I think it's kind of learning to reevaluate how you look at failing. And I just, I worked so hard. And I remember being in my mid-20s at this job so sick and thinking it was bullshit that I was that sick because I was only 25. I was like, my parents are in their 50s. They've been working a zillion years harder than I have. I don't hear them complain about it. Meanwhile, I'm 25. I feel totally burnt out. I feel completely overworked. And and it was hard to, to kind of figure out why I felt that way because I felt really guilty about feeling that way. Like, mm. oh, I'm not old enough to feel burnt out. Or I don't have kids, so why am I so tired? Or I don't, you know, I'm not taking care of anyone else. So why is it so hard to take care of myself? Just I had all these little kind of preconceived notions that I think are embedded in us from such a young age. And it I'm something I'm still working on is learning how to define myself independent of the ideals I was raised with. And my parents okay. are like my parents are the best. I love them so much. They are so supportive. They are also the parents who have always told me, you're amazing. You can be anything you want to be. You're so smart. You're so brilliant. So I was always trying to make sure I was so smart and I was so brilliant and I got straight A's because they told me that I was so smart. And, you know, my mom told me when I was like seven that I was such a good writer and that I should be a writer. Okay, so I'm going to be a writer. And they had, uh, they have always had the very best intentions. And I'm so grateful to have the parents that I have. Obviously, they're the coolest but I'm learning that the way that my parents define success, both for themselves and for my brother and I, is really different than the way that I now define success. Success to them, I think, will always be a house, kids, and a steady job you've been at for a long time. So when I was 26 and I was already ready to leave my first job, and I had been there since I was in college because I was an intern, but like I remember telling my dad I wanted to leave, and he's like, already? Because, you know, our, like my parents' generation, they worked at jobs for decades. You didn't right, bounce yeah. around. It wasn't about getting – like like I remember learning in college, oh, well, if you have lots of different things on your resume, that doesn't look good. It's better to have one company that you've moved up at. And it was like frowned upon to bounce around to different companies or different industries. But I'm just like, oh, my gosh, how else do you get life experience? I mean, by all means, if you're at a job you absolutely love and you're – super jazzed about it, stay there forever. Like there's yeah. nothing wrong with that, but there's also nothing wrong with wanting to bounce around or why settle? Like if you're doing a job, if you're doing anything that isn't lifting you up, like, yeah, we all have to pay the bills. That's, that's life and that's reality, but find a way to make that something that you're excited to do or that you want to do, or that is at least helping you get to where you want to go. Mm. If you're waking up every morning at a job that you hate, but you're making a lot of money and then at night you're coming home and you're, you know, putting in hours 
because at whatever side hustle you have, like, yeah, hang on to that job and make some good money and put in some good work there. And, and I don't know, I'm just learning how to make sure that what I'm doing isn't a waste of my time because we don't have a ton of time here. Mm. Um, though when I'm sick, I feel like I have too much time here. I'm like, (laughs) I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. But yeah. So it's, it's a lot of learning how to define myself, how to define success and how to make sure that every day I'm living is a worthwhile one. And this is going to be like the lamest reference ever, but there, did you ever watch the office? Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. So it was when the office started to get pretty bad because they started to bring in like way too many guest stars, but it was right. um, Kathy Bates came in and she was the head of Sabre, the company okay. that bought out Dunder Mifflin. And I remember there was an episode where Michael Scott and everyone wanted to leave early because it was St. Patrick's Day and they were all just like waiting for it to be five o'clock so they could leave and go to happy hour. And he went to her and he was like, all right, like I'm going to call it a day. We're all going to head out. And she was like, okay, if you feel that this is a day that you can put your name on and feel proud about that, then yeah, go have a good time. And obviously it's the office. It's not meant to be in like particularly inspiring, but that's. It spoke to you. Yes. It (laughs) stuck with me because I now like I do, I go through my days and I'm like, is this a day that I can put my name on? And some days aren't like some days I go down a Netflix rabbit hole and it's not a day that I feel particularly good about, but then it motivates me to do better the next day because I'm like, you know what? That's how I spent yesterday. I felt like, like it might've been fun in the moment, but at the end of the day, I had nothing to show for it except three seasons of Gossip Girl. Like (laughs) I want to do better today. And so it's just, what's the brand that the phrase is beat yesterday? I think it's like Garmin or something that. Yeah, I, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And you can't always beat yesterday. I think that's a disaster, but, um, you can beat the bad days. Yes. (laughs) You can try. So, and you can learn from the bad days, right? Like I think on some level you can, um, and you can also acknowledge that, just because a day is bad because of a certain behavior doesn't mean that that behavior is always a bad thing, you know? And it's um, not defining. Like, no. It doesn't, you know, you had a lazy day. That doesn't necessarily mean you're lazy. Oh, right. And maybe exactly. you needed a lazy day. So, yes. so yeah, constant life is just constantly learning. I'm constantly learning and I've been really into self-reflection lately and kind of, I've been doing a lot of journaling. I used to do a lot of blogging. Now I'm doing a lot of journaling. So uh, yeah. Nice. Well, yeah, I mean, I totally, I totally hear what you're saying about the learning to, I guess, follow our own ideals and understand what our own, um, like, I don't know, like, it's, I, I hear people talk all the time about doing things with intention. And so I've been thinking a lot about that because I'm like, okay, well, but a lot of what I do is based off of what I've been taught is meaningful and, you know, what I should be doing. And I think we all on some level probably battle with that sort of, this is what my parents or, you know, whoever my role models were taught me is important. And anytime we differentiate from that, especially, especially if you're the type of person who has that personality where you're a people pleaser, um, it, it's just, it's such a, it's such a hard thing to like acknowledge that, like what you were saying when you said that you struggled with this idea that you were in your twenties and you were feeling unsettled in your career, but probably in the back of your mind, you were like, why am I feeling this way? This is everything that I've ever wanted. And this is, you know, to 
the outside looking in, you know, I'm secure, like I'm where I'm supposed to be. But I think that what you're saying and the message that I got from that and that I think other people my age should hear is that if you have an unsettled feeling in the pit of your stomach, it's okay to follow that. Like it's okay to go after that feeling and to listen to that feeling and to, you know, reflect on that feeling and to put a lot of, um, I guess, just to be very cognizant of that and to not run away from it because probably the longer that you spend trying to ignore that feeling, the further away you'll get from what's actually important to you. Yeah. Um, and that's hard. <laughs> oh, it's super hard. And I will say life, in my experience, life is a series of challenges. When it's not one thing, it's going to be something else. Nothing is ever going to feel totally settled or perfect. I mean, I thought I was going to, for the last year, I was sick and I told myself if I felt better, everything else would feel easy. When I'm healthy, everything else will fall into place. Well, guess what? I'm healthy, so that's awesome, and I do feel better in that regard, but I still have the same problems. Like, everything didn't go away. Some of it did because just having my mental state back in check does influence a lot of other things, but, like, guess what? A lot of the other problems are still here. So just when, just because one goes away doesn't mean everything else is going to go away. And I think it's important to remember that everyone has their shit. You told me I could swear. So now I'm just like doing it. But <laughs> everyone has something. And I know that for me, like I'm someone who's always shared all those somethings on my blog, on Instagram, on my podcast, like because I like talking and I like sharing and I love the connection you get from that. Like the best I've considered quitting blogging so many times, but every time I get an email that says, Hey, I was just diagnosed with Crohn's and found your blog and this helped me. Or the ones I really love are the ones that are, Hey, my friend, my boyfriend, my significant other, my kid has Crohn's and your blog helped me learn about the disease and helped me know how to talk to them or something like those change my life. And So I think not everyone is putting, not everyone's airing all of their dirty laundry on the internet, for example. And I'm certainly not airing all of mine. I mean, no one has time for that, but everyone has something. People have big problems, little problems, and what seem like little problems to some people are huge problems to other people. So I think that's just also why it's so important to tune out the noise, to tune out what's not serving you. and, And that's constantly evolving too. Like, in the past, I've unfollowed people that because of the place I was at in my life, I just, what they were putting out there wasn't serving me. And then later on, I was like, oh, hey, I'm in a different place. I'm going to follow you again. That's such like a <laughs> shallow example, but it, it's it's not about other people. Like it's really kind of lame to say, oh, I don't like so-and-so on Instagram because her, like her captions are so dramatic or she's whatever like that might be objectively true sure but like that's how you're seeing it that's how you feel about it so just get rid of it that's how you're filtering it yeah right exactly like I'm sure that so many people look at my stuff I mean gosh everything I posted over the last year was either like hey like just being honest I'm really sick or like oh my god I had the best day ever like there's no middle ground so I'm sure people have unfollowed me because either I'm way too all over the place or it's 
it's just a lot of emotions coming out there. For me, that helps me process what I'm going through. I'm a writer. Right. So even just sitting and writing an Instagram an Instagram caption. For me, that's, that's therapeutic. That helps me sort through my thoughts a little bit. And yet it's nice to put stuff out there and, and gain that connection with people. It's not how we connected with people 10 years ago, 20 years ago, but we have that now. And that's a really powerful thing. And that's why I hate when you see stuff that's like, ugh, millennials always on their phones. Maybe that's true, but maybe that's also really powerful. And maybe yeah. they're finding something in there that's really serving them. And maybe there's a reason they're on their phones. Maybe they are super shy and introverted, but they have a zillion Facebook friends that they are really comfortable talking to. It's, you know, everyone has areas where they thrive and where they don't. And I just think as I get older, I'm really learning how to redefine my own life totally independently. Like with influence from other people and learning from other people, but not saying like, even still my parents ask my husband and I, every single time we talk to them, not every time, cause we FaceTime a lot, but like, you know, whenever we have like the long Christmas Eve discussions, cause everyone's home, it's, Oh, have you guys thought about buying a house? Mm. Oh, are you guys looking at, well, why not? Well, cause we don't want a house because we live 35 seconds from Manhattan where Brian, who my husband, who's working 22 hours a day, his commute is 20 minutes. Like we're not buying a house because we're not going to beat that commute. Like it's just not important to us right now. But that right. to them is like, oh, but like, you know, we bought our first house at 22 and had our first kid at 23 and 25. Like, you know, they had that whole timeline. And I and I grew up thinking I would have a similar timeline. My parents were high school sweethearts. And I remember on my graduation day, my high school graduation, I remember saying to my mom afterward, sorry, I didn't meet my high school sweetheart. And I was kidding. But I was also kind of like, oh, shit, like, my parents had already met by this point. I'm already behind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, thank God I didn't marry anyone I dated in high school. I mean, one of them's in jail. Like that would never <laughs> out. But like, I, you know, I, I knew what their timeline was and they didn't push that on me, but I internalized it. And that was, yeah. that was, that was on me that I was like, okay, I knew they were married when they were 23 and they had my brother at 25 and me at 27 and they were done. Meanwhile, mm -hmm. I'm 32. Let's see. I don't have a house. I don't have kids. I like, so by those check marks, I don't have what they had, but I've had my dream job and I've had a lot of really great experiences. I lived in Manhattan for nine years. Like I'm kind of, I'm developing my own timeline and, and I think that's really important and really powerful. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I really, I really like what you said about the, like, it's okay to express yourself the way that you like feel is accurate at that moment because I think um like I I do this a lot I I will put something out on like Instagram or whatever and I used to not think about this so much but then um so shout out to my sisters I love you guys but <laughs> you made me totally paranoid about Instagram so my sisters are uh just I don't know they're very different from me in a lot of ways and um I think they think that I'm like this like super boring, nerdy, like m mom type person. I don't know. I don't know what they think. I'm definitely probably like putting thoughts. Projecting. <laughs> oh, totally. Absolutely. I'm sure that I am. Um, but I remember when I first started using Instagram, because I wasn't really big on social media for a long time. And I'm just sort of now realizing that it's kind of the, the reality is that that's the way that a lot of 
the world works now and that it's something that I need to um, get a better understanding of if I want to achieve or go down the path that I want to go down with some of the things that I'm doing uh, career-wise. But I remember when I first started using Instagram, I would like post something and my sisters would be like, that's not, that's not how you use Instagram. Like that's not a good picture or whatever. And I would be like, what do you mean? I don't know. Like I don't understand. (laughs) There's no rules. Exactly. Or they would be like, that's not a hashtag. (laughs) And I'd be like, what? (laughs) Um, But you know, and, and so I still find myself thinking that, like, I'm like, like, I'll, like, I'll run down this, like, checklist that I have in my mind of, like, what anything I post has to fit. And I've started to try to move away from that because I'm like, you just can't please everybody. Like, oh, that's yeah. just never going to happen. And, you know, like, it's just impossible. So why even try? And honestly, it's better when you're more authentic because chances are that's probably when you're going to have an actual positive impact on somebody. Like, yeah, you might have a really negative impact on another person, um, depending on where they are and how they are filtering you. But when you're being authentic, that's when there's a likelihood that you'll actually say something that speaks to someone else, you know, like when you will touch someone on a deeper level. Um, and so, yeah, I appreciate that. And I like that. And to my sisters, if you're listening, we love I'm, you. I'm sure that the way that I just told that was really awful. And I feel terrible. <laughs> no, They're awesome. And they, this is like, I'm talking about like five years ago when we were all teenagers. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. well, I will say like one thing I get asked a lot, um, in regards to blogging is people would be like, when did your blog take off? And I say that like, I was never one of like the big successful full-time job bloggers. It was always a hobby, but I w- I, when I started out blogging, I was doing what everyone else was doing in the morning. I would post about my workout and my breakfast, which was oatmeal. Cause that's what everyone was eating at the time. And then <laughs> at night I would post about my second workout. Cause we were all doing second workouts at the time oh, with yes, like double. serious exercise disorders. And so I would write about that and maybe what I did the, during the day and then, okay, going to sleep, like just these little check-ins, same as everything. Fast forward a couple months, I wrote about the breakup I had been through. Like people had known about this guy I was dating because I would, he would appear on my blog from time to time. And so after we broke up and I moved out and got my own place, I wrote a post about what had happened, not in like excruciating detail, not in a way that was like inappropriate, but basically just like, it was a more personal post. And it was like, whoa, like, the views, the comments, the shares, like all of a sudden everyone was coming out of the woodwork to read and oh my gosh, I've been there and that happened to me and I'm here for you. Like the minute that something was personal and it wasn't, you know, there was no intention behind it. I wasn't like, I'm going to write a personal post and people are going to care. Like, no, I was just writing about my life. But because it wasn't just like, here are my splits from my Garmin and here's the run I went for. Like, and that stuff's fine. But it was not the whole story. No. And it was a human connection. Like people, there's a lot of stuff on the internet and we're all consuming so much. And, but the human connection there, it's so powerful. And, and that being said, not everyone's going to connect with the same human. Like. Right. And that's true regardless of what you're doing or whatever platform or medium you're using. Like that, that is just life. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I totally feel that. Um, but it's definitely something I struggle with because I just, I don't know. I think I just, I, I want to connect with everybody and I think I believe in my heart that I can. Yeah. 
Um, and, you know, that's probably also just part of being in the profession that I'm in, right. um, is that I just think that on some level I can, I can connect and I can, um, have people and, and here's another big thing that it sounds, I, I kind of get the sense is important to you. It's important to me that I feel heard. Like it's very important to me that my words are not misconstrued and that I feel like people get what I'm saying and I'm realizing that that's just not always going to happen. No, and because I it's need, not always about right. what you're saying. It's about what they're hearing. Exactly. And so I have found myself in situations where I am like beating my head against a wall because I'm like, <laughs> why is my point? Like, why is my intention not getting through? And why is, why do I feel like what I'm saying is just going over this person's head or whatever it is? And and, and then I'll think to myself, and why do I care so much? Like, that's another thing, you know? <laughs> See, I, I think that's called marriage. <laughs> that's, yeah? <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, oftentimes. No, but I, I mean, stuff like that's going to come up always. And I don't think it's wrong to want to be heard or to want to please everyone or to want to connect with people. Like, I, I'm the same way. I love more than anything. I That's all I want. Like, I just want to connect with people and hear their stories and talk to them and influence each other and then hug and be best friends. Even if we had different views, like I don't (laughs) think there's anything wrong with that because of course I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's how, that's how I feel as well. Right. But you know, it's just, again, it's learning to manage expectations and that's not easy because people are always going to disappoint you. People that matter, people that don't matter, kind of everyone on the spectrum at some point is going to disappoint you in some way. And you'll disappoint people too. I'm sure I disappoint people all the time. So again, that's when I just say, that's life. (laughs) That's when I just, I got nothing else to offer. That's life. That's, we all deal with that. So I have, I have no good wisdom to offer, offer there, but. (laughs) Well, I think, I think that that's also just a personality thing too, because Sometimes I'll look at my boyfriend who, to me, just appears to be just so confident in himself and who he is and um, just doesn't really seem to get too worked up about things. Like, I'm the type of person where I will lie awake at night worrying about something that I said to a client um, and I'll lose so much sleep over it and it really bottom line is not something I should be losing sleep over. And, you know, I'll, I'll talk to him sometimes and be like, you don't understand because you're not like this. And one time he was like, no, I am. He was like, everybody is. He was like, I just don't like give it the same amount of focus that you do. Like you just have to learn how to not put so much like focus on those things. And you have to also understand that other people feel that way too. Like you're not the only person who, thinks about themselves in relation to the world around you. And I was like, really? Like you really like, like, and then I felt awful because I was like, (laughs) I thought you were cold hearted. I thought you were a robot. Like (laughs) you're a human man. Like, oh my gosh. I mean, like, (laughs) but I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's just interesting. And I'm sure that a lot of it too is just being in my mid twenties. Right. Like, (laughs) oh yeah. Oh yeah. A a lot. Like I hate saying it because it sounds so lame and cheesy and whatever, but like, the reality is some of the best lessons you learn in life are just from getting older. Mm. Like I I experienced it I experienced a major shift in perspective 
when I turned 30. And it wasn't something I expected. I wasn't like, oh, I'm 30. I'm going to be different now. It just happened that way. And I think some people probably experience that at 22 or when they graduate high school or when they're retiring. Like it happens all the time. Mm. But I, yeah, it's just life experience and getting more comfortable with who you are. And that's something I'm constantly working on, but I'm at a much better place now of just like, do I like myself? Am I, is what I'm putting out into the world good in my eyes? Like Mm. people are going to see what they see. People are going to hear what they hear, but am I confident enough in what I'm putting out there and the way that I'm choosing to live my life that whatever they think doesn't matter. And that's not to say you shouldn't learn from other people or get feedback or whatever, but like a consider the source Mm -hmm. and, and B just know that people are inherently different. And, and even the people that you have the most in common with, you're not always going to see everything the same. You're, yeah, it's like how cilantro, right? Cilantro is one food, but cilantro tastes really different to half the population than it does to the other half, right? I don't know what the percentage Mm. is, but to, to certain people, cilantro tastes like soap to my husband, cilantro tastes like soap. And to me, it's delicious, but cilantro (laughs) is the same thing. It's just we both experience it differently. I don't know where I come up with these stupid metaphors, but um, but yeah, I think that's yeah. kind of, some, somehow that's relevant to whatever we were talking about. I'm convinced. no, it. I mean, it all comes back to that filtering process, right? Like it, you. We all have to remember that we are all walking around with our own unique like filters that yeah. have been a construct of our social environment, the way that we were raised, our genetics, like we have all of these ways that we're constantly filtering the world around us. And I mean, man, it's, I mean, kind of, I guess, makes sense why we're in like the state that we are in our country today. (laughs) Like it, you know, like it does make sense because that, you know, we all are just so different. Um, but, but yeah, no, I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, on the point of your husband and how you both the, the cilantro point that you made. <laughs> um, so I really enjoyed the episode, like I was saying to you before we first started recording, um, I really enjoyed the episode where he interviewed you, um, and I thought that was really great because it just, I mean, it just felt really genuine, um, and I thought that it was a great way of, I guess, showing like who you really are. Um, and I thought that it was really, I guess, a brave thing to do also as a couple. Um, I like that you have a lot of those episodes because I think that, um, it, it just shows your dynamic, which I think can be like a scary thing to share with like the public. Um, but I am wondering what it's like in terms of being in a relationship or a partnership, um, how you manage, wanting maybe different things out of life, how you come together. Um, what is that like? And like, how have you grown? You know, I don't know. How long have you guys been married now? We have been married for two and a half years. We've been together. It's it's almost our meetiversary. We met uh, just about seven years ago. So mm. we've been together for about six and a half, I guess, because we didn't start dating right away. But um yeah, we're not, we're not that good at it. Sometimes <laughs> we're really bad at it. Sometimes some <laughs> days we have, I mean, we have a solid foundation, so it's never too concerning, but Brian and I are really different people. 
-hmm. we, I mean, I shouldn't say that because in as many ways as we're super similar, we're super different. Brian is someone who looks at everything as a problem that can be solved. Like when I first got sick, Brian was like, okay, she has Crohn's. How do we fix it? All right. Mm -hmm. There's no cure. What's the next step? Like, okay, let's try this diet and this pill and these supplements. Like, and he had a whole plan of attack and he was like, do this. Whereas I just was like, I need to wallow in this. I like, we, we approach things really differently. And I think one way that we're good for each other, we're both so stubborn. I don't even know which one of us is more stubborn. We'd probably get into a fight about who's more stubborn. No, you are (laughs) like, no, I like, yeah, which just proves the point. But we, um, I am super emotional. Like I cry all the time. I wear my emotion. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I have, I say everything I feel like I am never someone who's like, Oh, something's been bugging me for a few days. I want to talk about it. Like, no, the second it's bugging me, I talk about it and for better or for worse. Like I, I don't know. I don't know whether that's productive or not. Brian is That's very productive. Thank you. <laughs> From a clinical you. standpoint, yes. it is. I'm sitting here Thank and I'm you. like, yeah, that is so healthy. Like, yeah, I just like, good. I don't want it to linger. I don't like, I just want to talk about what's going on. I don't care if it's not the perfect moment. I don't care if you're walking out the door to go to work. Give me your time and energy and a snack. But <laughs> So Brian very much, he likes to solve problems. He is an entrepreneur. So Brian owns an ad agency, Bold Worldwide. And the agency is growing super fast right now. It's so exciting. Like right now, so many of Brian's dreams are coming true and it's awesome. Like mm-hmm. he he has signed so many exciting clients recently. He's been like flying around on a private jet with Alex Rodriguez and Jennifer Lopez, like all this awesome stuff. And all that started to happen when I was sick. So I am home, can't get out of bed, can't do anything. He's traveling constantly. So I have to take care of our dog who's lovely, but like she still has to go out all the time and like, you know, just super basic dog caretaking things. Dogs are hard. But but yeah, like she's a big dog. She needs enough exercise. And like I couldn't get any exercise for her. And so it's just, it was so hard. I mean, the past year for our marriage has been really hard because he's living his best life and I was living my worst and there was no intersection. There was no like, but then we come together for dinner and we talk about our dreams and we hug like because of time that wasn't happening because of just where we were at. Like it's really hard to be happy for someone living their best life when you're so deeply depressed. And at the same time, it's hard to be living your best life coming home to someone who's going to bring you down. So to your significant other. Yeah. So for us, that's really hard. Um, ultimately we will always be each other's biggest fans and greatest supporters. And, you know, we, we joke sometimes like, well, not we, cause I don't joke, but like Brian will say to me, he'll be like, man, I hate you right now, but I love you so much. Or like I'll say to him, I'll be like, I don't like you right now. I love you, but I don't like you. And I know that that's like a thing people say all the time, but like, yeah, I mean, we're, we're pretty normal. We fight and we make up and we love each other so much. And that's why it's hard. Like Mm -hmm. we talk about that too, that we're just like, man, it would be easy to walk away from all this, right? Like it would be easy to not see each other for basically a year, like just because of crazy travel and sickness and everything. Like it would be easy to say, you know what? This is too hard. I'm out. But like, damn, I fell in love with this guy. And (laughs) so, 
yeah, we like each other too much. We love each other too much, even when we don't <laughs> like each other. But, you know, and I think that's the other thing. Like I am from where our, our parents are similar in certain ways. Well, Brian's dad passed away when he was 16 and, but Brian's mom is a teacher. My mom's a teacher. They're super similar. They're adorable. They love each other. It's very cute. But I grew up in a family where my parents were high school sweethearts. Like I've already gone down that rabbit hole, but like mm-hmm. I grew up in a very, you know, what I think to me looked like the ideal situation growing up. Like we were upper middle class in New Hampshire. Like I had a really, other than having Crohn's, I had a really easy life and I'm very aware of the the privilege that came with that. And Brian came from, from nothing. Like Brian didn't grow up with a whole lot of money and he started his business from scratch, didn't take a dime from anyone and has built this really incredible agency that I'm so proud of. And so we kind of like what I was saying earlier about learning how to define myself on my own terms. We're learning how to define our marriage on our own terms. Like Mm. we're not that couple that has date night. We're just not like that would be awesome, but we're just, that's not realistic right now. Maybe someday, You know, we're not the couple who like decided to have kids a year after getting married. Like we're, we have our own thing and we're both, we both have really strong personalities independently. So when that comes together, it's either awesome and productive and it's like explosive because it's so great or, or we clash. And I, you know, I never saw my parents fight growing up like I can't remember a single time I saw my parents fight. That doesn't mean that they didn't. That just means that like fighting was bad. So don't let the kids see it, which I respect. I'm glad. I'm glad I grew up knowing that my parents loved each other. Of course, now when I talk to my parents, like my dad also, my dad's very similar to Brian and my mom is similar to me, the emotional type. So we're learning now that like their marriage is a lot more similar to ours, but you know, growing up, you have in your mind that everything's going to be perfect and easy. And we're just always learning that it's not. And yeah, that's so so interesting. I was just telling Chad the other day, uh, my boyfriend, I was like, I think my parents did did me a disservice by loving each other so much. And, um, he, I, as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, oh my God, like, yeah, no, I get that though. Stuff that back in. But yeah, I was like. They made me think that relationships are always supposed to look super cohesive and like super just, I don't know, on the same page. Like my parents were just such a great unit. And I mean, seriously, like I I am, like you said, I am so thankful that they provided that atmosphere for my siblings and I. But at the same time, as an adult, I've had to be like, that it is okay that your relationship doesn't look like your parents. And what your parents portrayed wasn't necessarily what it actually was. Like, how much they loved each other, yes. Like, that was true. But they didn't get along all the time. They weren't always cohesive. They disagreed on things. Like, But, yeah. So, I mean, I get what you're saying there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's it's, – but right, I mean, I think we always like are like, my parents did me a disservice by being this way. I don't think it. <laughs> How you know, dare they? How dare they raise me in a beautiful house in New Hampshire? And I was too damn privileged. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I actually have thought to myself before. I know. Um, I know. <laughs> I'm like, where? I, you know, I I need some perspective. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So I I um I was asking, I asked about, um, your relationship because of 
kind of what you explained, which was that I, uh, I think that regardless of like what your situation is with your partner, I think that it's the reality is that you're, it's probably very rare that you're exactly on the same page in terms of like your status in life. Like you're feeling good and you're living your best life and things are going according to plan. Um, I think that in the day and age we live in now, especially when men and women and, you know, same sex partners, whatever, that people are more likely to have their own thing and be independent. I think that it's important to recognize that you're not going to be on the same page all the time. And so like what you said, trying to kind of just like redefine what that looks like um, and being okay with it, I think is a great message. Yeah. um, And just having each other's back. Like Mm -hmm. knowing, you know, that was something that was hard for me for the past year to suck up the fact that I felt like garbage and tell my husband, like, I'm so proud of you because that's the truth. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, that's the truth. But like, just knowing that you have each other's backs and pushing each other to be better, whatever that means, like Brian, you know, we push each other way too far sometimes. Like he loves to get me out of my comfort zone and I might hate him at the moment and I might not agree with like, even when he was on my podcast, like I didn't agree with everything he was saying and that's fine. Like Mm -hmm. that's, that's perspective and it's coming from someone I love and respect. It's not a stranger on the internet that, you know, feels whatever way about me. So, you know, yep, you figure it out or, or (laughs) I mean, we're trying to figure it out. We're always trying to figure it out. Some days it's so easy and some days it's not. And it would be boring any other way, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I was really sick a little bit ago, and I remember uh, just processing everything through that lens, and I had to remind myself that, like, to be, like, aware of – because, like, Chad wasn't really sick, and he – like, if he would have a bad day, I would filter it through, like, the lens of, like, well, it definitely wasn't – as bad as mine was, but like, yeah, I had to tough. sort of like remind myself that it is like still important for me to acknowledge that it was still a bad day for him and that I can't make those comparisons because it's like comparing apples and oranges. Like you just can't go down that road. Um, but yeah. So, okay. So let's see. I feel like I've taken up a ton of your time. Okay, so <laughs> um, I have some end of the podcast questions. All right. And I'm sure that on some level we've gone over some of your answers. That's okay. You don't have to feel like you need to go like down into deep uh, okay. explanation <laughs> if you're like, well, we already covered that. That's okay. It's pretty <laughs> standard that that'll happen. Got it. Um, I do have some that are pretty random. Okay. Um, okay, so my first question is if you could be any – Disney princess, which would you be? Ooh, that's tough. My favorite growing up was Cinderella, but I would definitely not want to be her. Uh, <laughs> Pocahontas comes to mind because she was pretty badass. Mm-hmm. Um, Elsa from Frozen, also mm-hmm. a pretty good one. And Belle. You know what? I do think it's creepy that she chose a life of bestiality, <laughs> but she didn't care what any of the townspeople thought. She was she loved to read. She was independent. She was super strong. So I would go with one of those three. Yeah, and she wasn't afraid to be like, hey, I choose this beast. <laughs> yeah, like literally I'm choosing to lay in bed next to a beast. <laughs> to a furry beast. Yeah. Um, right. I like that. I'm going to start like compiling all my answers because I feel like people generally go in a 
certain direction when I ask that question. <laughs> and I'm going to like start to make like a pie chart and be like, uh, 55% of my podcast guests would like to be Pocahontas and, you know, like start to like, make oh, yeah. Data. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I totally could. Okay. Um, if you were a flower, what would you be? Oh, gosh. Probably <laughs> wilted because I would forget to water myself. Um, <laughs> you know, I really like succulents because they don't need a lot of maintenance, but that's why I wouldn't be one because I am mm. quite high maintenance. So what flower needs a lot of like love and care? I, I like, um, I mean, I love peonies. Peonies are so pretty. Orchids. I yeah. I don't know. I actually never loved orchids. Okay. But I, I also, I really like Gerber daisies because okay. they are just bright and pretty and they make people happy. So I actually, from what I know of you, I feel like that fits. I Thank you. I think being a Gerber daisy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I like, I like that. Okay. I can see we'll go that. with it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I asked that because when I was little, my, me and my siblings would always, well, me and my sisters, we would always play, like, if you were a flower, what would you be? If you were a, animal what would you be like it was our favorite thing to play right and um it's hard yeah it is but I I like the flower one because my mom whenever we would play that one my mom would be like I get to answer that one and she would always say that I was an orchid because I am uh this is what she would say she would say because orchids are really beautiful under the right conditions but they're really difficult to grow savage mom I know right but so true so true I'm so sensitive like you know what I mean like my like I'm very sensitive I totally get what she's saying um and then she would say Maddie my younger sister is a daisy um and Sophie for whatever reason is a purple delphinium and then my brother's my brother's the vine that holds us all together so I have that tattoo on my chest (gasps) oh Um, my god that's so cute Yeah, but I like asking people that because I feel like people are like, huh, but then I always love the answers people give because as soon as they settle on one, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can totally Yeah, all right, well, I'm a Gerber daisy. (laughs) Perfect, perfect. (laughs) What would your, what color is your aura? (laughs) Oh, gosh, hot pink on a good day. Okay, yeah, that's not one of my questions. I just thought of it in the moment. (laughs) Yeah, I I would like to think hot pink like 90% of the time. Mm. Okay, um, okay, so actual podcast question. Um, <laughs> what so far in your life is the bravest thing that you've done? Oh, gosh. Um, the bravest thing that I've done. I feel like I'm – this sounds so bad. I'm not – I feel like I'm not an inherently brave person. Like I'm not a big risk taker. I um, – You know, like I just went on this trip to California, which was by myself and which was awesome. I don't know that it was brave. It's something I'm proud that I did. I don't know that it necessarily qualifies as brave, but maybe I'm also just convincing myself it's not. Maybe I need to give myself credit. Yeah, it did. It more took like get it. It it was getting out of my comfort zone. But I also think um, I don't know. Maybe it's also because I hold really high standards for myself that I don't give myself credit for doing things that other people say are brave. Like I think surviving this disease is a a lot of people would say, yeah, that's pretty brave and pretty strong and pretty admirable to me. It's like, it's my only choice. Of course I'm going to get through it. Of course I'm going to find my inner strength and survive this. So it, my husband would like hate this answer because he'd be like, why are you selling yourself short? Why are you saying you're not brave? Like he's always on me about that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, that trip comes to mind because it was so recent, but... Well, from the outside looking in, um, it, it, it seemed brave. And I also thought that the honesty with which you shared sort of what it was about for you and talked about it and processed it with your husband, I thought that that was very, very brave. Um, you know, so from yeah. an outside perspective, that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. And this is a little, well, I don't know that this is a little thing. Maybe that's selling myself short again, but I also, um, I've learned how to give myself shots, which mm. like if I were 16 and you told me I'd be doing that, I would never do it. And that's probably one of the scarier things I've had to do, which now it's not a big deal because I have to do it all the time. But, um, a couple years ago, I started on a medicine that required me giving myself injections at home and I had to learn on a piece of fruit how to do the injections and it was terrifying and Oh, it's the worst because so, yeah. it looks especially when it's um like the long needle that you ha- like that oh, like, yeah. that you have to So I was an egg donor and I had to like one of the things is that you have to give yourself the yep. injections yep. and I mean, yeah, I totally agree with you. That's brave because it took me so freaking long to like actually be able to yeah. do it. And I tell you what, if you're not someone who's ever had <laughs> to like actually like when it gets down to it, like to take that needle and put it into your own skin, like it is really hard to take the plunge and do it. <laughs> oh yeah, totally agree. So yeah, I would I would count that as one of my braver things that I've learned how to do because I also don't love it. Like the trip might have, it might have been brave, but deep down it was something I wanted to do. Mm. So it was still, it was like masked with excitement. But giving myself shots, there's no pleasant part of that. So I would say that counts as a, a braver thing I've done in my life. Mm. All right. I like it. A more abstract example and then a very... Exactly. A very... Uh, concrete. <laughs> concrete. Thank you. Yeah. I was like not... I was about to say non-abstract. <laughs> Hey, and that would have worked too. <laughs> that's how I. Uh, that's how I filter. Okay. Um, next question is: What does being a woman mean to you? So, to me, and and the timing of this question is interesting because it's such an it's an interesting time to be a woman right now with everything that's going on with the Me Too movement. And yep. I mean, we're fresh mm-hmm. off the Golden Globes when um, obviously that was at the forefront there. So. To me, I've always loved being a woman. I was like a stereotypical girly girl growing up. Like I've always loved pink and I was a dancer and I Your aura is hot pink. Exactly. I'm a Gerber Daisy. Like and I <laughs> and I used to kind of not that I felt shame in that, but I used to be like aware of the fact that I like wasn't a cool girl. You know, in college, the cool girls were the ones who were drinking beer and they like knew how to dress to go out at night and they looked kind of slutty. Like that's (laughs) never been me. I've always been happier in sweatpants or like sequins. There's not a lot of in between. And so I've always loved it. I've always been proud to be a woman. I, I think it's a really powerful time to be a woman. And I love surrounding myself with other really powerful, strong women who are letting their voices be heard. And I think now it's more important than ever to do that. And I don't just mean in regards to um, things surrounding the Me Too movement or things like the Women's March, which have all been amazing. But just in general, I think the more that women speak up, that they share their stories. And your story doesn't have to be a traumatic story. It doesn't have to be a dramatic story. It can be as simple as sharing your story with Crohn's disease or sharing your story about going for a run. I just think that putting more voices out there is really powerful. And 
that, you know, I, I never liked when people would say like women need to support all women because I actually don't necessarily believe that. I think that's a nice idea, but I think that in every gender, not all women deserve to, like some women are really mean and are, are, and are, you know, I don't think you need to blindly support all women, but I do right. think that having a community of strong women who support each other is so powerful, is so rewarding, is so gratifying. I have so many incredible women in my life who have been advocates for me, who have stood behind me, who have, you know, elevated my thinking. And, and I just love seeing more of that every single day. Mm. I like that. Yeah. And I mean, at the very least, I think that it's important that we try to all listen to each other on some level. Exactly. Like if someone's willing to speak, if someone is willing to share their story, I think it's important that we at least try to listen to one another. Oh, yeah. Listening is more powerful than <laughs> speaking, right? Right. Oh, totally. Yep. Definitely. Um, but hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Final question is what are you currently chasing? Oh, everything. I am so happy to be healthy right now. I'm chasing adventure. I'm chasing sunshine. I'm chasing the outdoors. I am chasing my best self. I am constantly chasing my dog around if we're being super literal. <laughs> yes. Um, kind constantly chasing the piles of laundry my husband leaves all over the floor. Um, but I think right now I'm chasing adventure. I got a taste of it in December when I went on that trip to California. And all I can think about right now is hiking and being outside and seeing sunrises and sunsets and just embracing everything that I can't do that my body won't let me do when I'm sick. So that's what, that's what I'm after. That's what I'm living for right now. Where are you thinking about traveling next? Well, I'm going to Bermuda this weekend, but that's just like a little, um, race weekend with some friends. They were all going down and they booked it months ago when I was sick and I was like, no, I'm not going. But then two weeks ago, I was like, hey, just realized I'm healthy. I'm in. <laughs> um, I'm done waiting for the right time. I'm done waiting for everything to fall into place. I'm done waiting for, you know, like, why am I going to plan a trip in six months? That's fine. But I'm healthy right now. And so I'm going to go. I really want to get back. I really want to get to San Diego. I originally wanted to take my trip to California and drive from San Francisco to San Diego, but I didn't have enough time because of the holidays. I mm. figured I should make my way home for Christmas. Right. And so I only drove as far as LA. So I would like to do a San Diego trip. I want to go to to um, Oregon. I've never been to Seattle. I want to do national parks. I'm dying to see Mount Rushmore, which I know everyone who's been there is like, it's underwhelming, but like I've- Okay. I was going to say, if you like sunrises and sunsets, I just spent um, my summer, I did my clinical internship in the Dakotas. Uh, the Dakotas are amazing. I mean, okay. geographically, like I was going to say that like you should definitely make it a priority. Yeah, my dad and most, I want to. My dad and I was talked about doing it. So we'll stunning. see. And, and Mount Rushmore, like I also heard that too. And I was going to the Dakotas to work with the indigenous populations there. So I was like, maybe not. I should go to Mount Rushmore. <laughs> you know, like I was like, this Yay, is forefathers. Of... Yeah, exactly. But I was like, but I want to see it. And my boyfriend came out to visit me and we were like, we're going to go do it. Um, and it was, I mean, it was incredible, but you just drive two miles down the road and have you heard of Crazy Horse? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That is like a life-changing experience. Okay. Like literally life-changing. I 
was just completely blown away. We had the intention of doing all of these different things. And we went back to the Crazy Horse Monument uh, six times. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know. My boyfriend was like, um, huh. <laughs> like he was like, wait, can we move on? <laughs> and I was like, no, it's amazing. Like, I loved it so much. Um, but yeah, the Dakotas are really, really amazing and incredible. And awesome. just like the sunrises and sunsets, you just can't beat them. And you can see their aurora. Ooh, yeah. Which, so I want to do that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I obviously want to do a lot of international travel too, but mm. I, for, for now, I'm like, I haven't seen most of the United States, so I would like to see some more of them. And domestic travel is pretty easy, so I want right. to do more of that. Yeah, isn't it crazy how much beautiful stuff there is here? But I think that, like, in your mind, you're like, oh, everything that I need to see is foreign, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I went to California, and I was like, why do I choose to live in New Jersey? Like... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally hear that. (laughs) All right. Well, so um, thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast. I'm still so new to this, so I'm sure that you were like, that was all over the place. And (laughs) No, I love it. I love chatting. I told you, all I want in life is human connection. So I love chatting and I so appreciate you having me on. All right, people. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Allie. I'm sorry that the release is a bit later in the day today. My plan going forward is to have the episodes out by midnight on Thursday so that most people will have it in their feed when they wake up Friday morning. I know I always like to wake up to my podcasts that I listen to regularly already in my feed. My guest next week is none other than professional runner Stephanie Bruce. I have personally been a huge fan of Stephanie's for a while now. She's pretty badass. Stephanie is a mom and a, uh, a mom of two boys, Riley and Hudson, who are two and three years old. And Stephanie was getting back into the full swing of training after her first son was born when nature decided that she had different plans and Stephanie learned that she was pregnant with her second baby. For those of you who aren't professional runners, this might not sound like a big deal to you, but for Stephanie, it put her entire professional career on the line. Stephanie put on a brave face, bravely and candidly sharing her journey with the world and showing all of us women what the body can achieve when the mind and heart are fully invested. Stephanie's journey wasn't easy, but she has more than bounced back, running a top 10 finishing time at the New York City Marathon and then snagging a win just recently at the Arizona Rock and Roll Half. For anyone who's enjoying the show, I suggest that you hit that little subscribe button in the feed, and that way you will not miss an episode. Finally, one last friendly reminder to please rate and review the show on iTunes if you haven't already. Okay, guys, I have to rush this because I'm getting on the road to travel to a race, but I hope everyone has a fantastic weekend, and whatever you are chasing, you are chasing it bravely.